How does the Utah Utes quarterback situation impact this week one game between the Florida Gators and Utah Utes? We're going to talk about that and much more here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Gators, part of the Lockdown Podcast and network your team every day. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. Happy Friday. I'm Brandon Olson. Find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with whole nine sports, Giants country, NFL 33. And joining me today is going to be Brandon Carroll from All Gators with Fan Nation SI and Carol's Cadence, his own YouTube channel, which you should check out after listening to this because it's how we talk about recruiting. He talks about it more also today on Carol's Cadence. But now here's Brandon Carroll. Joining me now for Locked On Gators, like he does every Friday episode, is Brandon Carroll of All Gators and Carol's Cadence. And we're talking today, we're going to start talking about Utah's quarterback situation again because we talked about it a couple weeks ago at this point and the way that utah's head coach kyle whittingham talked about cam rising's injury earlier this week made me feel like it's less likely that he's going to play than it felt two weeks ago because i feel like the way you word things when you go yeah barring him getting cleared i feel like when you say barring him getting cleared you're kind of saying i'm not expecting it but that's kind of the situation Then it's going to be Bryson Barnes because Brandon Rose got hurt during the scrimmage last week. I think it's lacerated liver, which is a wild injury to get during, during a scrimmage, especially it's like, yeah, that, that's going to happen. Um, but how does Cam Rising's availability or lack thereof impact kind of your feeling about this game? Because I know that I, I said, I feel way better about Florida and Utah was like, no. Uh, so they, they got really mad about that one. But what's your stance on it? I think it's hard to sit back and say it's you don't feel better about Florida's chances if Cam Rising's not the one that trots out as the starter because he's been their incumbent starter really for the past two seasons. Um, Barnes has had some opportunities, but he's proved inconsistent in the times that he has played. And it's been Rising's job since he, you know, since his sophomore year. Um, so there's a lot of kind of question marks going in for both teams. But with Utah having that struggle at the quarterback position, I think it's kind of asinine to say, yeah, there this is going to have no effect on this game at all because Rising is one of the most polished quarterbacks in college football. He's one of the best college football quarterbacks in the nation heading into 2023, whether he's 100% healthy or not for week one. And he's been that. He was that last year, too. I think that it's, you know, a steady progression. And we've started to see a guy like Jonathan Odom, who got hurt two weeks earlier um, with a very similar injury. Obviously, each progression back from an ACL tear, whether there was additional damage that wasn't announced within the knee, are always uh, things that get brought up. But Odom's a skill position player. He has to move in space, and he's now, for Florida, ready to fully participate. He dropped that black no-contact jersey. So I think Rising's on a progression to where, at this point, it's a game-time decision, like a legitimate game-time decision 
for Cam Rising. And I know Kyle Whittingham's been a little on and off, um, you know, just skeptical of it. And I think he's trying to temper expectations by the way he's wording things. But I do think that there is some, um, you know, there, there's still a chance that Rising's able to go. But if not, it's it's a positive for Florida. Unfortunately, it's it's result via injury. But you can't say it's not, uh, you know, helping kind of push the favor in Florida's direction. Not saying that Florida should be the favored one, but just in general, um, it gets closer because Rising's not able to go. Yeah, I feel like the thing with Florida, I, I said this on Wednesday's show or, or around the midweek where I was like, hey, I think a big advantage that Florida has, and may, maybe advantage is the wrong word, but a, a big plus for them going into this game is that regardless of who the quarterback is, for Utah, their defensive game plan doesn't change. Like It's like, hey, we're either going to be really aggressive against Cam Rising when he's not as mobile as he's been and when he's going to have to deal with that, or being really aggressive against Bryson Barnes, who in his career has 200 snaps played and 109 of them are handing the football off. So he, he's got 91 snaps where he either throws it or runs it. I feel like, yeah, being being a very aggressive defense gives you that advantage, especially when, again, regardless of who QB is, you could just go in there with the same approach you were going to have anyway. It's just you have a different target in your defense's eyes. Yeah, for sure. And I think... Obviously, rising in the past has presented that mobility that Florida struggled with. Just, you know, we've seen we saw it last year at points um, and how he just found a way to be opportunistic with the way that he ran the football. Um, and, and I like to call him an opportunistic runner because he's not someone that's going to tuck it and run on first instinct. But when he does decide to tote the rock, he is talented at doing so. He can make the opportunistic plays, get first downs push the ball downfield and just keep that offense ticking. So even if he does play, that won't be a major factor just because, you know, he's not going to be a hundred percent unless just like Kyle Whittingham said, if something just changes in the next two weeks, you know, something bar- barring, uh, you know, him being cleared and uh, in, in being able to fully participate. And I know that's not necessarily a indication that everything is a hundred percent. Okay. It's just an indication that they are ready to go in terms of like, there's no more limitations on them. They're, they're getting fully ramped back up, but um, Austin Armstrong's licking his chops. And I know it's, and I've talked about it before um, on my show that no matter who trots out there, Austin Armstrong is going to have some juice to him standing on that sideline in week one, just because first game of the SEC coordinator, he's 30 years old. He's known for bringing that energy. And I think that as a result, then boys up front are going to bring the heat. He, you know, it, it'll come with the four down linemen. It'll come in simulated pressures. It might not uh, come in terms of just him sitting in the house. Like he's not going to send eight guys or anything like that, but he'll send a lot of simulated pressures, throw a lot of different looks at either quarterback that comes out here. And whether it's Bryson Barnes, who's inexperienced or Cam Rising, who's, um, you know, potentially playing on 80%, you know, knee, it's a daunting task for them to have to um, shoulder that load and shoulder that burden of you know the four to five dudes coming at you every single play that are really told hey we're getting after him today yeah i think for me that's the biggest thing where i i like i don't even care about how it works out specifically just like the the game plan and the approach there of going up front you're gonna see you know fire zone blitzes you're gonna see 
creepers, sim pressures. You're going to see all these things up front that are different. And then on the back end, it's going to be constantly like just showing you the same stuff pre-snap and then rotating. Where for me, that's why if it's Bryson Barnes, I think Cam Rising would even struggle with that because yeah, Cam Rising is very experienced, but NFL quarterbacks struggle with that kind of stuff. So I would imagine Cam Rising would as well. But if it's Bryson Barnes, I'm I'm just thinking he's gonna have a bad day if if he starts just with that insanely aggressive complex and constantly uh, misleading or misdirecting defense. I'm just like, yeah, it. It's not going to be a fun time for Utah if Bryson Barnes is QB1 on August 31st. Yeah, I, I. it's not an ideal, you know, time to step into a starting role um, because, one, you know Florida's defense hasn't been great over the past few years. Obviously, it's expected to take a jump forward, but you don't really know what you're getting. Uh, so if it does take that step forward starting in week one, Bryson Barnes is the first uh byproduct of that he's the first um how do i put it he's the first like uh, there's a word i'm looking for but i can't quite find it uh just victim i don't and, and that's not the word i want to use because it's that's not what i want to use okay <laughs> it, it, it's just because there's so many different things that austin armstrong did at southern miss that can translate to the sec to this matchup obviously with Utah being in the Pac-12, just Power 5 football in general, which is um, a term that I will use this year and this last year only. Um, but just having that as your first career start, knowing you have a guy that just loves to send pressure, loves to be aggressive, play press man, operate and cover three, um, and really just keep everything tight, tight windows, deny the ball defense is how they've quoted it at Florida. Um, Jason Marshall Jr., Devin Moore, Jalen Kimber have all said this is deny the ball defense. That's how we're playing this year. And I think that having that as a first time starter, at least in this on this stage, is like you said, not ideal or um, can kind of cause him to be a quote unquote victim, even though I hate using that word because it just sounds like I'm trying to get in the beef with Utah fans that you have gotten yourself into over the past few weeks. <laughs> Hey, yeah, put your dukes up, Utah fans. I'll, I'll call you victims. I don't care because you're going to feel like a victim August 31st around midnight Eastern time. That's, that's how it's going to be for you. For a championship team like the Florida Gators and Billy Napier are trying to build, it's all about making sure that every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors with eBay Guaranteed Fit. You can be sure every part you need fits just right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage. Look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you're back in the game in no time. Get the right parts, the right fit and the right prices, which is the most important part, on ebaymotors.com. Gator Nation, let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um, but So moving on to injury updates, but on a more positive side, Florida as a whole really is just, they're starting to get healthier. Like, yes, you lost Justice Boone. You've had a few hiccups, but 
you're getting back Shamar James returned with a non-contact injury or with a non-contact jersey. Um, Jonathan Odom is back and he shed the no contact. Arliss Boardingham shed the no contact. How have they kind of all looked progression-wise since these are all players that I'm fully expecting to play a good deal of snaps this year? Yeah, I think the tight ends specifically have looked very good. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what Arliss was dealing with. I know they've been very cautious with how they've went about this fall practice regime schedule thing um, just because obviously you don't want to push guys past these, you know, to where they're not ready to go when the season rolls around. Uh, I know Jason Marshall Jr. Had a soft tissue injury. They just were like, all right, we're just going to pump the brakes here. We're going to sit him out two days and then he'll get back on the field, which he did. Um, I think Bordingham was something similar where they knew that, you know, it wasn't something super serious, but they just wanted to take it slow. Obviously Odom coming back from that ACL injury, um, they just were letting him progress at his regular schedule. This, and it's been, uh, as of today, actually, it's been, he got hurt December 17th, 18th um, in the bowl game, 17th, I think. So it's been exactly a year. I know it'll be just over a year or not a year, uh, like eight months, nine months um, since that injury. Tomorrow it'll be a nine months in a day. Um, and so when this show airs, I'm sorry, I, I broke that wall, but um <laughs> There's, yeah, uh-oh, <laughs> my bad. But uh, it's, he's shown that progression. He's shown, like, he's moving well in space. He looks to where he's getting back to the point where he is, like, you know, dropping that no contract jersey. He's full participation. He looks like he's going to be a factor for this offense, which he's going to need to be. So is Boardingham, um, just because tight ends and Graham Mertz mesh well and working over the middle of the field. So having those pieces back, having those pieces in your arsenal offensively are big helps. And then Shamar James, uh, that he's one day back, he, he's still, you know, kind of going through that rehabilitative schedule, but he's right on schedule for being able to play week one uh, that we were told when he got injured, it'd be a week or two. Um, he's kind of, he's fallen within that threshold and I expect him to, you know, I'll, I'll get a better chance to look at him today. And then I'll, um, you know, kind of see where he's at and see uh, if there's, you know, any concerns, which I don't assume there to be because he's back on the practice field and participating with his position group, uh, you know, almost full time. Yeah, um, I just like, I don't know what it was, but I was just thinking like, um, this game is just going to be like my dream because I like I'm, I'm a big tight end guy. So it's like. Utah is going to come out in 12, 13 and Florida's getting their tight end healthy. So I was just thinking like this game is going to be just a dream for me. And I'm just, I'm just ready to see that, but uh, that's just a completely irrelevant side note, but this is, this is part is obviously impossible without being in the room with them, but, and obviously not a doctor, but should we be expecting Shamar James to be restricted at all leading up to the game because I feel like at this point like we're two weeks out we were told it'd be seven to ten days he hit that timeline but I feel like it's also one of those things where it was a knee issue and I am always hesitant to just be like it'd be good to go because like knees just are the worst thing on the planet when it comes to injury wise yeah do you mean like practice like practice limitations and things like that leading up game time will he be golden yes he'll be good game one uh 
that was that's always been the story there. Obviously, I think they're going to be careful, and because he injured it so early in fall camp, they, that gives them the ability to say, "All right, this scrimmage too on you know Friday, we're going to pump the brakes there. You're not going to you know be fully active for that that scrimmage." But then you know we get closer to week one, we get closer to some actual football being played. That's when you're like, "All right, restrictions are coming off. You're our best player on defense. Go get after it." Because he is. Shamar James is the most talented player on the defensive side of the football. No kind of knocks towards Prince Luman Mielin, who's a very close second. But Shamar James is that dude. Actually, Jason Marshall Jr. is that dude. Shamar James is second. Prince Luman Mielin's third. Sorry. Um, but just having those, you know, a Shamar James there and, and having him go through the individual things, the, you know, just doing what is expected of him in year two, you're able to kind of give him that leniency of pumping the brakes, letting him get healthy so that week one, you can just go out and, and, and hoop because that's what they're going to look for him to do. And and this year is just, just hoop, get us, make tackles, get us the football and just make your presence known, which I think he can do better than anyone on the field for Florida's defense. Yeah, um, as you were like, oh, yeah, Shamar, Princely. I was like, how wild is it that I feel like it's been quite some time since we've had a dude at every level that we're like, yeah. they, like they're a dude and we know they are. And it's like, we, we've got the edge rusher there. Like, Brent Cox wasn't it. Uh, <laughs> Princely is there. You got Shamar, got Jason Marshall. Like, this is, it, it's like an awesome time to be a Florida Gators fan where you can at least see that there is legitimate elite talent on this team at every level of the field whether or not you care about depth or side pieces just having legitimately a guy at every spot is just an awesome time for florida gators fans yeah and it's i think it's awesome for just covering the team in general obviously not i'm not a fan per se just because um out of objectivity and uh, unbiased coverage of the team with fan nation sports illustrated but just having those pieces enjoy because I am a fan of good football. I'm a fan of high level football and getting to watch that week in and week out with some of these pieces is always going to be fun. You know, it's, uh, it's just how Georgia um, coverage, you know, reporters feel every time they step into a practice or a game, they're like, I know I'm about to go watch 13 NFL dudes out of this 22 man lineup every time I step on. And obviously Florida's not there yet, but it looks like that that's the way they could be trending with the recruiting classes, with the, you know, who they've brought in and how they're developing um, at, at all levels. So I think that, you know, it's, it's just fun for Florida and you kind of see, you're starting to see the dividends of this Billy Napier regime and it's trending upward just in a talent, you know, accumulation standpoint and a talent production standpoint as you have the Jason Marshall Jr., who's probably going to be a first-round pick in 2024 draft. Um, Prince Uman Mielin, who's going to be right on that line, if not um, being a second-round pick, uh, if he performs this year at the rate that many expect him to do. Shamar James, who will eventually go first round. Uh, Devin Moore, who's probably, if once he gets going, is going to be a dude. And then you just have so many different pieces at different spots, um, not to mention the guys offensively. So the talent's starting to look up at the University of Florida, and that's fun for fans, obviously coaches, the players themselves, and even the people that cover it uh, with an unbiased standpoint toward Florida like myself. Yeah, um, Zach, I think it was, that tweeted out the link, the, the video of Princely working on the long arm 
And yeah. I was like, I, was, I love it. I love yeah. it. Ever, ever since, I remember it was a long time ago, but ever since seeing like Khalil Mack do it, I was like, oh, that's a beautiful pass rush move. And so now I love it. I love seeing Princely work that into his, his uh, repertoire there and hopefully first round pick. But you mentioned the 2024 recruiting. Like we've, like we've seen recruiting classes, the way they're looking, talent is coming up. Florida added to the 2024 class yet again. This week, earlier this week, they got the commitment from Wardell Mack, four-star corner from Louisiana. Let's say Wardell Mack winds up being the highest-rated corner in the 2024 class for the Florida Gators. Are, are you cool with him being corner one? And just to be clear, I, I don't want to sound like I'm against him at all. I am cool with him being corner one if he winds up being that. I just wanted to get your, your take on that as well. Yeah, I have no problem with Wardo Mack being corner one in this class. He actually, even before he committed to Florida, way back when he actually originally got offered, uh, I have I became a big fan of his. I think he's uh, great in kind of press man coverage, which is what Florida is going to be looking to play moving forward. Uh, very physical at the line of scrimmage. Great ball skills. I think he attacks the ball very well. He's one of the more polished in technique uh, corners that we've seen uh, in this class. I do think, you know, he can get in trouble sometimes just being grabby, uh, whether it's on the line of scrimmage or working in space. Um, but I do think that, you know, his offensive background kind of shows in how he plays defensively, which is exactly what Corey Raymond wants. And they had some concerns with him being undersized initially, uh, but he came in to Florida in his last visit, measured in at six foot and a half. They were like, all right, that six is in front. Let's run it. So that was really when he got that green light. You saw that picture that he posted with him and all the other commits. Uh, so he's been – this This is not something new to Florida staff. They weren't surprised like we were because, I mean, I wrote a commitment story weeks ago just because I was like, I have a feeling that this is going to pop sometime soon, and I think it is toward Florida. And so we got it up early. But when it popped, I was like, oh, goodness. All right, here we go. Let's, uh, let's try to figure this thing out. I hope I actually wrote it, and I hope it wasn't just something I made up in my head. Um, so uh, it, he is – talented enough to be that cornerback one obviously he doesn't have the length that they've coveted or he does on his frame but just not to you know relative to a jakeem jackson who's very similar in the way that he played um in high school just on a you know he's he's six two and he's all of it um probably pushing six three but there's so many traits that Wardell suggests that makes me say, yeah, this is Warden Wardell. He's going to lock up his side of the you know field when he gets to the University of Florida. And I think Raymond's going to mold him into being one of his next um, pieces on that side. I dig Warden Wardell. I'm, I'm, I'm cool sticking with that forever. Uh, but even just your opinion, the same thing that we had Brian Smith yesterday, Lockdown's Recruiting Insider, who talked about Wardell Mack being corner one. He was just like, the dude can line up and play cover one and, and just do that. And that's a very impressive thing to be able to do. Just, just line up, play press man, be physical. So I feel like it's, it's kind of the consensus is clear here. He, he can do it, but what else for you, at least do the Florida Gators need to kind of add to, to wrap up the 2024 class, even including the, the, the cherry on top pieces, like, like the plus ones that we spoke about, a month or so ago. Yeah, I think they're, I mean, at this point, they're really just looking at those plus ones uh, for the most part. Obviously they want to add another cornerback, whether that's Xavier Mincy out of mainland or um, Jameer Grimsley flip him from Alabama. 
uh, which they'll continue on both of those until the very end. Obviously, you've you know there's been some buzz regarding both of them. Um, even though Grimsley's committed to Alabama, we know that Corey Raymond is going to remain uh, a constant in his you know in his on his phone. Uh, that notification is going to pop consistently from now until signing day. So those two are the, really the main pieces they're looking at moving forward. They've wanted to take three cornerbacks from the start. They got Teddy Foster a few weeks ago. They just got Wardell Mack, who for a second I want to I want to kind of backtrack to him. One thing I like about Mack as well is that like yes, he can do the cover one press man. He can really just get in their faces, but I think he can also be someone that can drop in zone. He fits well in that cover three scheme because when everything's in front of him, he works so well at attacking the football. And with those that offensive background, I think he can attack the football at a high rate, play in space, and kind of be a safety at points for Florida when, you know, even though he's working off the boundary because he's just able to work back toward the football, make plays. And because of the offensive background, if he does get an interception, he's able to crib it. So that's another positive for Florida there. But he's there. So now they're looking for a second or a third, I should say, uh, cornerback to pair with those two. And then you got LJ McCray, um, who's their highest remaining target. Like he is number one on the board. LJ McCray is our guy um, that we're, you know, that th- this is what they're saying. They're saying that's our guy that we're going to get, um, it, whether, it, you know, whatever it takes, we're getting LJ McCray. A lot of teams think he is the top defensive end in this 2024 class. Georgia agrees. It's really a Georgia and Florida race at this point. Florida State and Miami are still involved, but I think they're a tier below what Florida is right now. Um, and then you obviously have the Jeremiah Smiths, which I hate to break it to Florida fans. He's going to Ohio State. Um, he's that like that is I, I just have a heart. If he was going to flip, I think it would have happened already. And, you know, there was some buzz for Florida this summer, which I thought was their best chance to get him. They didn't. He stuck it out with the Buckeyes. I think that's where he ends up. Uh, you have, you know, the ability to potentially get a chance Robinson, even though that's cooled. I think Jordan Ross ends up at Tennessee. So there's just, you know, some remaining prospects out there like LJ McCray, like Xavier Mincy, like Jameer Grimsley, that are really the main focuses for Florida at this point. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Grimsley committed to Alabama right now, but Florida is obviously always going to stay in contact. That's been a thing of, hey, good recruiting staffs stay in contact even if a kid is committed because hey even if there's a goalie doesn't mean you can't score on it right but thank you so much brandon this is brandon carroll from all gators and carol's cadence catch him every friday on locked on gators and every monday wednesday friday on carol's cadence thanks for making locked on gators your first listen of the day you are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts we'll be back a little bit later today because we're, do- we're doing two days for some of these days all right we, we got some bonus shows for you So we will be back talking running backs later today. For Locked On Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with Whole9 Sports, Giants Country, NFL 33. And I will see you all later.